0: On the Virtual Bible Study tonight, we're going to get a little historical. Yeah, we, a topic that we haven't really ever dealt with in all the years of the Virtual Bible Study is sort of get a, a thumbnail sketch about some significant events in church history. So that's what we're going to call it tonight. Just a review of some significant events in church history. But here's the thing, Jacob. We got to compare what they were doing in church history to what the Bible says they should have been doing. And that's where we'll see the rub. All right. We're going to get into this important discussion right now.
1: one 4567, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study.
2: And this is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, July 23rd, 2020. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Quinn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad.
3: Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Good to
2: be with you as well. Uh, Monty is in Kyle's spot tonight. Monty, welcome to the
3: program. Hello, Jacob. It's good to be here.
2: Glad that you're here. And uh, you got the money cam working there tonight so our listeners can see who's behind the curtain so thanks for thanks for coming to be with us tonight thank you for joining us on the other end of the line tonight we'd love to hear from you at 877-381-4567 questions at collegeview.com listeners are filing into the chat room as we speak and if you have not signed in there it's easy to do you don't even have to use your real name you can let it assign you a uh, a number we like it better if you're a name and not a number on the program. But uh, either way, we want to hear your comments. Send them in the chat room. Send them to e- the email address, questions at collegeview.com, or give us a call, 877-381-4567. We'd love to hear from you on the program tonight.
0: I see Lou in Minnesota, and Brian, who's usually in California, is in Tennessee tonight. We see him in there. Um, so we're getting we're getting a good representation. Sarah and
2: Karen are in there, Yeah, uh, and some other listeners as well. So sign in. And share your comments tonight on – this is an important topic. Maybe not the most interesting topic for
0: everyone involved, Um, but – I think it is an interesting topic. I I think – you know, as I look back, history – as I look back, when I was a kid, I wasn't interested in history at all. In school, history was very boring to me. I didn't like it at all. Now I wish I would paid more attention to history in general. I think history in general is a really interesting thing i I would say the same about church history. I wish i'd paid more attention to church history when I was younger and did more studies of it i 've never felt like I was a very uh, thorough student of church history and and but it 's very interesting me yeah, I wish i was I, w- I wish I had spent more time on it. Uh, I think a lot of times, especially when we 're younger we don 't need to worry about history. we just need to deal with here and now, and especially in religion, I think that 's true that history is what they've done historically is, is is not the most important thing. What's the most important thing is to understand what the Bible says and do it that way. All right. Uh, um, so,
2: yeah, Monty, they're telling me that uh, all they see is the splash screen. Um, so, um, yeah.
0: So,
2: what I need to do? Then? Yeah, you move, that, move the video screen over to the right-hand uh, screen there, and that'll get that going for them.
3: Now yeah, so, uh, which one's the video screen?
2: Well, we'll have I'm to work on that. There. You're <laughs> a little lost. Right, you go ahead
3: and go. <laughs>
2: Uh, so, yeah it's
0: important because if we don't know history we don't know how we got to where we are yeah that's exactly right and it's it's important to to sort of observe it and but as we said what we want to do is we we want to compare that to the scriptures because obviously historically something has gone wrong because we've got all of these different religious organizations who practice different things who teach different things uh, and it, it can't be right because people are teaching and practicing contradictory things. And so we want to uh, to look to that and compare events, developments in church history to what the Bible says.
2: All right. Uh, so, uh, again, join in the, con- uh, the discussion tonight with us. The Horwath family signed in, and Brian over in uh, East Tennessee is uh, signed in tonight. to sign in and talk with other listeners here on the program tonight on this important subject. Yeah, if we don't... I see it, we've got a live
0: picture now. Yeah, we do.
2: Yeah. Uh, so if we... Uh, Again, just in in secular things, American history, we think there's a lot of value in knowing how America became a country and what was the reasoning behind that and so forth. Same is true religiously. We need to know how we got from first century to here, and are we in the right spot uh, so we'll talk about that tonight.
0: Yeah. So earlier today I sent up, sent out a rather long email, longer than usual. I sent out an email to our update list telling about our topic for discussion tonight. We always want to remind you to get on that list. If you're not, send us an email to questions at com and just say, just say, put me on the list midday Thursday, we try to send out our topic for discussion and give you some indications so that we can start seeking your feedback. We didn't get a lot of feedback tonight because I think this is the kind of question that people, they maybe are interested in it, but they maybe don't feel terribly informed about yeah. all of church history. Yeah. That's fine because uh, that, that's an understandable uh, emotion. Uh, but I sent out, I called it significant developments in church history and I picked out 13 things, so that, that's a rather long list. And we're not going to have to comment very much about each one. You sort of grouped them, though. I grouped them into three categories, what what I would call um, early departures from the faith. And then the middle group is efforts to reform the Catholic Church in particular and then the third group is efforts to restore the New Testament church, and so uh, we've got three three broad categories that we want to try to to deal with. All are significant in regards to church history developments. Okay. So let's just deal with the. Let me read these first four. They would fall into the category of early developments and actually early departures from the faith. First one, late in the first century, or possibly early in the second century, a document was composed and circulated. It the, the, and you and you may have heard this name Didache, D-I-D-A-C-H-E Didache or Didache uh, is the name of this document. And what it did was actually give detailed commandments about how things were to be done in the churches. For instance, how to observe the Lord's Supper. And the notion of the Eucharist was first exposed in the Didache. Uh, it claimed to have been authored by the apostles, but many, if not all, of the apostles were dead by the time this document was circulated. So it's a man-made document, but it suggested to give additional information about how the church was to function and carry out its worship and so forth so that was that was significant so that's where we first learned about the Eucharist yeah okay so th- then secondly uh, the, the second thing we noted was sometime early in the third century uh, a, a scholar named Origen was credited with teaching that the church had power to formulate doctrine, make up its own rules, rather than taking the scriptures alone as the basis for instruction. That's a significant development we want so to talk about. So that's 3rd century. Early, AD. In the, early in the 3rd century, which would be the early 200s. Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: And, that, and that sounds familiar. I, I, you, you still hear about that in the Catholic Church today. Yeah.
0: Okay. Then in 325 A.D., I think that date will ring a bell with some, that was the famous First Council of Nicaea. And that that was a meeting that was convened by the Emperor Constantine, to settle certain doctrinal issues. And what it did then was set a precedent. We'll call councils together. We'll take votes and decide these church doctrinal issues.
2: Yeah, still hearing that. In fact, that's (laughs) happening a lot lately. We hear about that.
0: Yeah. And then the fourth thing, as we talk about departures from the New Testament pattern, in 590 A.D. history, recognizes Gregory the Great as the true first pope of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, if you talk to a Catholic, they they want to try to trace that all the way back to the Apostle Peter, which is false. Uh, and they got a number of guys that they would try to name, but none of them had consolidated power over the Catholic Roman Catholic Church until Gregory the Great in 590. So we're talking about almost 600 years after the church was established before you get to the full-blown Catholic Church, Roman Catholic Church, and near 600 A.D. All right. Uh, so you can begin to
2: see some patterns here, uh, as what we believe is a, a deviation from what the Scriptures teach, us, how the Church should be structured, how it should operate, what it should teach. You begin to see some departures, and we don't go straight from the biblical pattern to the Roman Catholic Church with the Pope over the whole Church, but we see some some very steady uh, departures.
0: There. Yeah. Let's start with that first one that sometime even it possibly it was late in the first century, almost certainly at least early in the second century. So we're talking about maybe 90s A.D., maybe in the early 100s A.D. Men decided they could write a document they called it the didache which that that word in greek just means teaching mm-hmm. that just it's just that's what it is it's teaching they decided that they could put out some additional teaching about how the church should function and do its work but of course the new testament claims that it is all sufficient to provide us with everything that we need. Second Peter chapter one verse three says, "According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness." So, uh, God's inspired authors of the New Testament provided everything we need. They we, they didn't need any help. But you know, other people have come along through the ages and tried to help out. Uh, you know, you you think of something like. Uh, the Book of Mormon. Uh, Joseph Smith decided that he could add something, you know, and and others have done likewise through the centuries. But this was a f- this was an early departure. The idea that the New Testament is not enough; we need additional teaching. We'll write some additional things.
2: All right. And again, Paul said in Galatians chapter one, verses eight and nine, that if we go and we're teaching something different than what's in the scriptures, then we're accursed. And that mirrors what was said at the end of the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 18. Don't go adding to, verse 19, don't go taking away from what God has revealed in the scriptures. Uh, These folks, instead of writing a document, should have been reading the document that God gave us, where he said, don't go messing with what I said, don't
0: make up your own rules. Exactly right. Uh, Kent is our only correspondent tonight who has, has done a good job sending in inf- He's He's made comments on thir- all 13 of the points that we highlighted. Extra from credit for Kent tonight. Yeah, Kent gets an extra star on his chart. Uh, he, he says about these additional documents like the Didache, whenever human religious documents affirm doctrine that's not taught in the New Testament, the nature of such a document is within itself false. And he references 2 John, verse 9, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed, for he that bideth him Godspeed speed is partaker of his evil deeds. 2 John, verses 9 through 11. I think newer translations say, where the King James, whosoever transgresses and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not a God. Newer translations say, whosoever goeth onward. Goeth
2: onward. American Standard Version yeah. says it that way.
0: And, and so the idea is, we're not content with this. We want to add to it. And. And Second John verse nine says, you do that, and you you forsake God,
2: and not only that you're going down an incredibly slippery slope that gets you to where we are today in the religious world, where anything goes,
0: and there's all kinds of division yeah uh, how it's actually presumptuous for us to imagine first of all that god didn't God wasn't capable of telling us everything we needed to know." And that we could write something that would be the equivalent to his inspired message by by the inspired apostles and prophets of the New testament, that's just a very presumptuous thing, sinful in its nature uh and but but you what we're saying is it didn't take very long in church history this is this is probably near the end probably the apostles all the apostles had died at this point but but not long before this uh so it didn't take very long before men began a departure now get that are, are you cool with that if you're not cool with that if, if in other words if, if you wouldn't say i'm going to write a letter and i'm going to stick it right in here yeah. between jude and revelation And we'll call it the Epistle of Greg. Mm. If you're not cool with that, and and surely you're not, then you shouldn't be cool with what these guys were doing early on in church history. Nor what's
2: happening today, because it's still happening today. People are still doing that, and we're still uh, making up rules as we go. And if 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 you don't agree with that, you need to make sure and check that everything you believe and practice can be found and based in the Scriptures. Exactly. All right. All
0: right. Monty, holler up when you when you got a thought. Anything there? Uh, just like you said, it's really presumptuous
3: to think that God couldn't tell us everything that we needed to know and have it preserved for us until the present day for as long as we, he feels like we needed to know it. So, you know, that's just saying if we're thinking that we're going to improve on God's work, then we're really, I don't know what word to use for us.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you made a point too, Monty, that I think is worth noting. God promised that he would preserve the word. That, and we don't have to worry that somehow we lost what he gave us. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, "...being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Uh, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass, the grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away." But the word of God endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. God promised us that the word would be preserved, and either he keeps his promises or he doesn't. I would believe that he does.
2: All right, so let's go on quickly then, and uh, third so, century.
0: So early in the third century, which would be early 200s A.D., uh, a scholar named Origen is credited with Teaching And others joined in, obviously, pretty quickly, that the church itself had power to formulate doctrine rather than just taking the Bible as its source of uh, instruction and authority. Um, Well, we get to make up our own rules. Think of the impracticality of that. So, uh, Jacob, you were just recently coaching your son's little league baseball team. What if... The some of the players on the field decide we're going to make up our own rules. Well, you know, some I don't of like... my players tried that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it didn't work, did? It? No. But but think think for me, and well actually for our team, we think you should get four strikes before you're out, and so we're going to play that way. That's no. now think of the impossibility of even conducting a little league uh season. If, if people have the privilege to set their own rules to play the game. But that's what people did effectively in regards to religion. They, they, they said, the church, the church can make its own rules up. Well, they did it. But this church made these rules, that church made those rules. Now, now look what we've got. We've got thousands of different organizations teaching and practicing different things because they think they can make up their own rules. But that we're started not, early on. We're not playing from the pl- same playbook here. the same yeah, rulebook. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly right. Okay. Well, you run into a really big
3: problem when I've, I have in the past trying to t- talk to people, like one person I worked with that was a member of the Catholic Church. And you try to talk to him with, and you tell him on whatever the, well, the Bible says this. And he says, "Yeah, but the position of the church is is that." Yeah, and, I've heard and that. Well, and I said, "Well, yeah, but the Bible says God said, and the Bible had it wrote down for us." Yeah, but the position of the, the church, the church, so you teaches, really can't yeah. have a meaningful discussion no. about anything because, spiritual because he don't care what the Bible says; he only cares what the position the current position of the church is.
0: Exactly right. Exactly right. And I've had that same experience, money. Where well, the position of the church on that subject is, well, I don't care what the position of the church on that subject is. The church is not authoritative. Colossians three seventeen says, whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That, that expression in the name of means by the authority of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. It's not by the authority of the church; it's by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And Hebrews chapter one verse one says, God in various times and in diverse places, God at, at at various times and in diverse ways, uh, diverse manners spake in time past to the fathers by the prophets, but hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son. We've got to go by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ.
2: All right. Kent says the church exists as a result of New Testament authority, such as not the basis of authority. Luke 8, verse 11, Colossians three seventeen. The landmark missionary Baptist churches make the same error in affirming an unbroken chain of succession of local churches. That is why they determine many of their practices by having their local churches engage in voting. So the church yeah. cannot... Uh, and not make up the rules. Exactly right. Uh, and, and so uh, certainly that's quite apparent from the Scriptures.
0: Let's grab a break and come back. We've got to come back and we'll wrap this up real fast and move into the period of time where men began to say, well, wait a minute, we can't go with all that. We're going to need, we need to try to reform these abuses.
2: Ah, the Reformation movement.
0: But we've got a couple more things to talk about in the departure phase, and then we'll talk about the Reformation. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this.
1: Don't touch that mouse. The Virtual Bible Study will be
3: back right after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the Virtual Bible Study and are interested in finding out more about the church. But you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more. There's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study. You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects, and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon.
0: Here's some quotes worth pondering. One of the most difficult things to give away is kindness, for it is usually returned. Christianity is often judged by what others see of it in you. Two elements of success, aspire, then perspire. Too much time is wasted by some people telling others how busy they are. Man, wish I'd said that.
1: Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. We're back on the
2: program, we talking about uh, significant events in church history. We're tracing a, a pattern here of departure from the truths of God's word, the absolute standard of God's word, and where the church is now making up their own rules. And, uh, well, then soon a council was de- formed to determine... What the rules should yeah. be. Uh,
0: 325, that's kind of a well-known date in church history. 325, First Council of Nicaea, uh, in which a bunch of church leaders got together. It was actually convened. The meeting was convened by Constantine, who was the emperor at the time. And uh, to, and the purpose was to settle doctrinal issues. But the idea was, you now think about that. Well, think about what they did. They called a bunch of church leaders together. To discuss an issue and take a vote and decide an issue. Well, that's what's still taking place today. But that never happened in the New Testament. Now, some people say that that happened in Acts chapter 15 when there was a meeting in Jerusalem with the apostles and Paul and Barnabas. There was no voting took place in in the Jerusalem meeting. That in fact, if you read that carefully, Acts fifteen, and then Paul talks about it in Galatians chapter uh, two. If you, if you read about that, you realize that Paul knew what was going on before he got there. Before he got there, there was there was no decision making there. That was it was basically Paul went. Paul and Barnabas went to Jerusalem to. Tell to put a stop to the false teachers coming out of jerusalem but they, they already knew the truth the truth wasn't decided by a vote in jerusalem but that's what people you remember several years ago we had a presbyterian preacher from nashville on with it who had just returned from the national convention of the presbyterian churches and he he was he was glad to tell us about how they were taking a vote uh, as to whether or not to ordain homosexual ministers in the Presbyterian Church. It didn't quite pass the time, he says, but I have full confidence next time we meet we'll pass it. Now, what, what what's changing
2: there? It's not the scriptures. It's the voters. Yeah. The, and, and the church is dis- determining the truth through these councils or these denominational hierarchies, these desi- denominational organizations. It happens in the Presbyterian Church. It happens in, happens in almost every denominational church, the 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 association or the the Southern Baptist Convention or whatever the denominational organization may be determining what the doctrinal position of that denomination will be and then issuing
0: the edict to all of the churches that are underneath that hierarchy. Yeah, yeah. This is it's just completely unbiblical. Where would you where would you go in the New Testament to show that anything like that ever happened? The result ends up being what Jesus described in Matthew 15, verse 9. In vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Uh, Actually, it's interesting that Jesus was quoting Isaiah. Isaiah lived 700 years before Jesus. Isaiah said it was a problem. Worship becomes vain when you teach for doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus said it was happening in his time, and it's certainly happening in our time, too.
2: 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Brian in Tennessee tonight. Said Paul warned Timothy of departure from the truth in 1 Timothy 4, verse 3, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. Man left to his own devices cannot seem to leave the word alone. I I appreciate that observation, Paul. I think for you're Brian. right, Yeah, yeah we always, exactly. well, maybe it's pride. Maybe it's human pride that we think we can do better.
0: And then, uh, Kent says in his email, doctrinal issues need to be settled by the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. Agree, agree okay. with you, Kent. All
2: right, so we see where the council started, when, which is basically what we have in denominations today.
0: Now, what goes on from there? It gets and, even worse. And then. And there's a lot more that you could put in here. I had to be pretty brief in sort of drawing up this outline of church history. But by 590, I think you see the full-blown departure from the New Testament pattern and and the first pope over the Roman Catholic Church, the first really. I mean, the, the Catholics would try to describe some other fellows through the centuries who held this position, and they actually falsely want to go back all the way to the Apostle Peter. We've talked about that before. Peter was not the first pope of the Catholic Church. And, in fact, there weren't any popes over the worldwide church until about 590 A.D. A fellow by the name of Gregory the Great is really, by history, recognized to be the first true pope of the Roman Catholic Church and he, he, because of the consolidated power which he had. But, but as I said, we, we highlight that as, as an indication now the New Testament pattern has been completely lost. Uh, Now we have this hierarchy of church organization that culminates in a worldwide earthly head of the church known as the Pope. And again, you search your New Testament through. There's not a hint of anything like that in the New Testament. In the New Testament, churches were independent and autonomous, self-governing, local bodies of, of, of disciples there's, and these, this this hierarchy of church organization and the power invested within that organization is, is I, say, I think, epitomized in the Roman Catholic Church. All right. In fact, the Pope
2: is referred to as the Holy Father. We're crying out loud. How do we get to that? How do we get from, we're well, reading the Bible, to a man being called the Holy Father? Yeah. Uh, amazing. Uh, and certainly uh, a, a significant departure from the truth, so that that couldn't stand. That was that went on for
0: well, fifteen hundred years. And yeah, that that was well. People had just had enough of it. Yeah, it went on for a long time. Actually, in my notes that I sent out today to our email list, I jumped from five ninety when Gregory the Great was identified as the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church until 1517. 1517. But you know what that you know what that time period Encompasses the so-called Dark Ages.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: That was the reason why there's not a tremendous amount of history from that period is because actually the Catholic Church was helping keeping things suppressed. There's it's the Dark Ages. Uh, enlightenment, intelligence, study, scholarship was was actually suppressed by the Catholic Church because it didn't serve their purposes for the masses of people to be informed, and so we had the Dark Ages. But the abuses of the Catholic Church were well known. Uh, one of the ones that stands out in history is the selling of indulgences. Concerning you. if you contributed enough money, you could you could get absolved of sins if you made enough contribution to the Catholic Church. The selling of indulgences, and so the, the abuses of the Catholic Church were, were rampant and extreme. And, and, and some men finally said, you know, this is enough. This is actually too much. We cannot put up with this any longer. And so the Reformation movement got underway. And the idea was we got to reform the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church got so far out there in left field. We have got to draw them back. We've got to get this back. And so uh, let me read real quickly the, 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 the dates that I picked out from the Reformation movement. First of all, in fifteen seventeen Martin Luther posted his ninety five thesis to the church door at Wittenberg, Germany, listing many of the abuses of the Catholic Church. And that's that sort of is considered the trigger point of the Reformation movement, Martin Luther's ninety five thesis. Okay. In five twenty three, Ulrich Zwingli in Switzerland, who himself was a former Catholic priest, declared the Bible to be the sole source of church doctrine and practice. Uh, in the 1500s john calvin who uh, who lived from 1509 to 1564 he formulated a theological system uh, certainly different from what the Catholics were teaching. It included notions of predestination, salvation by grace through faith alone, the impossibility of apostasy. We've talked about Calvinism. We'll talk a little bit more about that tonight, but not thoroughly. That was in the 1500s. Calvin was one of those who did not go along with the Catholic Church. He was wrong in almost everything else he taught, but he he opposed the Catholic Church. In 1560, John Knox in Scotland... Rejected papal authority and adopted a Presbyterian, uh, system of church government, but he followed the theology of Calvin. He was a Calvinist. Mm-hmm. Yes. And in the 1580s. He was a Calvinist. Yeah. Uh, what I say? He was a Calvin. Yeah, Calvinist. Uh In 1580, there was a separatist movement in England which rejected many aspects of Catholic doctrine still being practiced in the Church of England. And that ultimately led to men like John Wesley forming the Methodist Church in the early 1700s. So, get the idea. That's just a... Man, that is just a very brief thumbnail sketch of the Reformation. But the idea of it was... This departure epitomized and and hi- highlighted by the gross abuses of the Roman Catholic Church led certain men to say "This is not right; we need to reform things and so i i I think we've got to give a uh, you know uh, a, a nod to to these guys who realized those abuses and said we we need to do something different. And
2: they were courageous in doing that. They were very okay. courageous
0: because they were they were they were sticking their, literally sticking their necks out to yep. to make these proclamations. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, but the idea is that we need to
2: reform what we have in the Catholic Church or or make it better. Uh, and when we get back from the other side of the break, we'll talk about how that approach went. And and where it got us uh, today, because I think what we'll see as we look through the history of these, now we have Protestant churches, which... They're protesting the Catholic Church. That's why they're Protestant. They
0: protested what was going on in the Catholic Church.
2: They're the result of this Reformation movement, but we see still remnants of the Catholic Church in these Protestant denominations, and uh, we'll talk about that on the other side. So get your comments in in the chat room after this week's bullet point. We'll continue the discussion. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this.
1: You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages.
0: This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Our bullet point today comes from the pen of Ben Geiselbach. Guys, I'm a little bit scared. When my elders announced that we would be resuming class at the church building on Wednesdays, of course I was excited. But, and here's what I debated sharing publicly because I'm embarrassed, there was a part of me that was disappointed about having to be at the church on Wednesday again. Why? Why? Because it's been over three months since the church met together for Bible study, I've grown accustomed to coming home from work, eating dinner with the family, and then relaxing in the living room watching some sort of canned Bible study on my TV. I've officially gotten out of the habit of the family getting ready for the Bible class and driving to the church building on Wednesdays, so there was part of my heart that was actually disappointed, bummed, over the burden of going back to Bible study. And that's what scares me. Of course, I'm taking my family back. That's not a question. I'm excited. There's no danger of me or my wife falling away, but I've just gotten out of the habit, and psychologically, my mind has grown accustomed to it. I don't like this about my heart, and in my prayers, I ask God to rid my heart of sinful desires like this, like the desire to stay home when I can assemble, which is a heart problem. Here's some other scary thoughts to me. What if I was 18? That time was an impressionable time for me. I look back and I sometimes think I could have gone one way or another with my faith. I would have been vulnerable to this if it had happened to me then. I needed the assembly, every assembly. What if I was five years old or 10 or 13? Kids that are that age are going to remember this, and we have deprived them of assembling with the saints in some major important ways. What if I was a new Christian? What if I was a weak Christian? So if I felt disappointment in my heart, think what others may be feeling at the thought of going back to church. I still think churches collectively did the right thing in postponing their assemblies for a number of weeks. At first, this was because of the unknowns. The virus was a major concern, and it's still a concern. But over three months later, at what cost? This virus isn't going away anytime soon. At some point, we need to think, what is the end game? Am I willing to be absent from the assembly of my church family for another month? Three more months? Six? All of 2021? Really, why even go to church anymore? Let's sell the building and do everything online. Is this what some of us are good with? At some point, we have to ask, what's a greater threat to the church? A virus or the effects scattering is having on the church after months of isolation? I don't want to oversimplify things, but if your conscience isn't burdened over this anymore, and I say this kindly but bluntly as your brother in Christ, you have a heart problem. The virus is no longer the biggest danger in your life. God designed his church to be an assembling church. Online worship, while I've been thankful for it, will never be a substitute. His people need to be willing to take a little bit of risk to follow his plan and ideal. We need to have a little bit of faith. Not that God will miraculously protect us from getting the virus, but that assembling with his people is more pleasing to him than cutting ourselves off from the church. Let's take safety measures, certainly, but I need church. I need to be in relatively close proximity to my brethren. I need the friendships. I need the encouragement. I need the congregational singing. I need the classes. I need the accountability. I need to hear you in person push me to keep going and all the more as we see the day approaching. Let's not give Satan one more inch. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it.
1: This is Jared in Warwickshire, England. Listen to the chat from the virtual Bible study each Thursday night. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the Virtual Bible Study. Now,
2: back to the program. Back on the program tonight, I Remind you this program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out all about us at our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com and drop us a line. Got a question about something you've heard? Got a suggestion for a future edition of the Virtual Bible Study? Maybe just a question that's on your mind about something you've been studying? Questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use. We'd love to hear from you. At any time we're talking about uh, significant events in early church or in church history. We've got through the early church history and now we're on to the later church history as we talk about uh, the Reformation movement and uh, the, the origin of the Protestant denominations that we have today.
0: You know, we talked about Martin Luther and he's he's sort of credited. I don't think he was the only one thinking these things in that immediate time frame, but he, he he's certainly most famously known for posting that ninety five thesis. On the church door at Wittenberg, Germany, in in fifteen seventeen, um, listing his objections to the abuses of the Catholic Church, but people began to follow Martin Luther, and even to this day, obviously we have Lutherans who who identify with Martin Luther. Actually, Luther himself begged that that not happen but it happened anyway and so these fellows who began to voice criticism of the catholic church and and they were right in doing so but what resulted was people began to follow them and they did not fully abandon all of the departures of the catholic church they they corrected some of the extreme abuses but they still maintained a hierarchical type of church government you know because these protestant denominations that resulted from these uh, certainly are highly structured and organized and We still have bishops and they're not local independent autonomous congregations like you read about in the new testament right right uh and we still and their worship the worship
2: uh resembles a lot uh, of, in various degrees the things that we might see in the catholic church maybe around this idea of the eucharist or or things like that or the burning of incense and and the icons and A lot of those things that you would see in a Catholic church, you'll see a lot of that in Protestant churches today because we didn't abandon everything they were doing. We just tried to reform it and clean up some of the more gross deviations from the scriptures, but not entirely get rid of all of the man-made
0: inventions and uh, innovations. I think you're right. Uh, Kent in Georgia says, We appreciate the truth that Luther recognized. However, instead of seeking to restore the New Testament church in his day, he sought to reform an unscriptural religious organization, the Roman Catholic Church. And that's, uh, that's what we agree with that. We noted in five, uh, 1523 that in Switzerland, Ulrich Zwingli, who himself was a former Catholic church, Catholic. Clear- Priest. Catholic priest rather uh, declared the Bible to be the sole source of church doctrine and practice. He was headed in the right direction. Zwingli was really conservative and Zwingli was heading in the right direction. Kent says, we appreciate Zwingli's efforts in recognizing this truth. However, he was not consistent in making application of such truth. He was not wrong in everything, but he was essentially wrong in his doctrine as a system. One does not have to be totally wrong to be essentially wrong. And so, uh, Again, I think uh, Kent's making the point. Zwingli was heading the right direction. He didn't get all the way there. He didn't get all the way there. But you got to credit a guy coming from that background, himself a Catholic priest at one point. He was heading truly in the right direction when he said the Bible needs to be the sole source of church doctrine and practice. Yes. Uh, obviously, that does away with all man made creeds. And that's an important thing. The Bible only. Uh, no creeds. It, no creeds. And uh, very important, sola scriptura. You know, is the is the Latin expression. And there are there are people who actually the Catholics themselves condemn the notion of sola scriptura, the Bible only. They don't agree with that. They think that's a, they think that is a false doctrine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in, in the 1500s, one of the notable protesters, the Protestants. Was John Calvin. But John Calvin did more damage than good because he invented a whole system of theology, different than the Catholic Church for sure, but it was, it was way off base. We've talked about Calvinism before. We'll talk about it again on the Virtual Bible study, no doubt if the Lord wills. But he came up with his system of theology. Uh, he, He was apparently, I did a little reading about this, he was apparently a pretty tough Cookie, not a very nice guy, uh, is, some people called him the tyrant of Geneva. See, he did his principal work in Geneva, Switzerland, but he was actually French born, but he did his principal work in geneva and and, and some actually labeled him the tyrant of Geneva. If you disagreed with him with him he he would he would bring all forces to bear against you, so he wasn't a very nice guy, but he did more harm, especially in the fact that he established this five Point system of theology, it, it, as we have talked about it before, it's, it's it's remembered by the acrostic tulip: total hereditary depravity, unconditional election. In other words, you're born t- totally deprived, but but God chooses to save only certain ones unconditionally. Unconditional election. That being the, the fact, then Jesus only died for the chosen. It was a limited act of atonement. It wasn't for everybody. It was just for those who were who, who were among the elect. Uh, uh, th- then the the righteousness of Jesus was imputed to those who were thus uh, chosen. And finally, the perseverance of the saints. If you're among the saved, you you are saved and you can't ever be lost. Uh, once saved, always saved.
2: Now. What you can you see those that teaching and you compare it to the
0: scriptures you say well, that's not true. Oh, I said I, I said uh, the eye in tulip is irresistible grace. I'm sorry, I said in Peter Rice, irresistible grace okay. that among if you're among the elect for whom Jesus made atonement, you then you will be drawn Irres- shows you. irresistibly. You'll be drawn. And then, once drawn and saved, you can't ever be lost, perseverance and the yeah, saints. Right.
2: It, it all, it's, all, it's all a house of cards. If you take out one of those those pillars, it all falls down. It's all interconnected. But in, you, if you put John Calvin in his context, and he was living the same time as Martin Luther uh, and Zwingli and all these corruptions in the Catholic Church, you can see how he would swing so far in the opposite direction where we were buying indulgences and we're doing all these Things, you know, saying how many Hail Marys I got to say to do this and that. You can see how a guy would swing so far in the other direction and say, Well, there's nothing you can do. There's God no does it all. No work. God yeah. does it all. In, in Salvation his, by grace through faith yeah. was part of his system. So you put him in his context, you can really see how he gets to that point, but he doesn't get there
0: from what the scriptures teach. You. Exactly right. Uh, we've got a guy in Scotland named John Knox who rejected papal authority. Great, that he should. But he adopted a Presbyterian system of church government. Now, presbyters are, that, that's a New Testament term, and that's the term that is equivalent with elders or bishops. But their authority is limited over the local congregations. First Timothy 5, verses 1 First through 5. 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5. I'm missing everything. Today. First Peter 5, verses 1 through 5. But but Knox and others set up this system of presbyters, and so it wasn't authority in one man, not right. one man, the pope, but authority in a board, mm-hmm. in, in, in a in an organized structure of oversight. Yep. That's not biblically. Looks a lot like the Roman Catholic Church, yeah. Other than no pope, and don't go all the way up. Yeah, yeah, yep. uh, and then uh, in the 1580s, a separatist movement in England. Was organized and and they rejected many aspects of the Catholic Church that were still being practiced in the Church of England. Church of England, uh, which today in 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 the Western Hemisphere is is identified as the Episcopal Church. Uh, they carried over almost all the practices of the Catholic Church, and really the only reason. Uh, This is oversimplification, but the main reason why it it got started in England was because Henry the Catholic Church wouldn't let Henry VIII divorce and remarry as many times as he wanted. And so he said, okay, we're done with you. We'll start our own church. And he started the Church of England. Uh, But the the practices and teachings of the Church of England, very similar to the Catholic Church. All right.
2: Well, um, we uh,
0: need to get a break, but you, as you... Let's grab our last break. And when we come back... We want to talk about the last segment of church history that we want to identify, and that is the restoration movement. Some fellas said, you know, just reforming the Catholic Church is not getting the job done. Let's see if we can restore the New Testament Church. Before we go,
2: Kent Bailey uh, said uh, Calvin was a brilliant man. However, he se- seriously missed the mark in his convictions by formulating a system that opposed New Testament teaching in his five points. And John Knox, he says, saw the error of papal authority, but embraced the errors of Calvinism. He was, however, correct in rejecting the use of mechanical instrumental music in worship to God. And then the Wesleyan movement sought to reform the Anglican denomination by some of their own errors, rather than a return to New Testament teaching. So we're we're seeing here the trend is the, the restoration
0: I'm sorry, the reformation, reforming. They came part of the way back, but they didn't come all the way back. They
2: didn't come all the way back. So now we're going to get to what happens next as we look through church history. One more break. We'll go to the top of the hour. Stay tuned. We're back right after this.
1: After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the Virtual Bible Study. I know that it's worth an hour of your
0: time. We're tracking the trends on the Virtual Bible Study. A recent poll reveals that one out of three practicing Christians has stopped attending church services in any form amid the pandemic. The poll found that 35% are still attending their pre-COVID church, 32% are no longer attending church in any form, 14% have switched to a new church, and 18% are watching worship services from different churches each month online. That information is via Barna Research. The Word of God says in Matthew 13, beginning verse 20, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the Word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the Word, immediately he falls away
1: broadcasting around the world with truth that are out of this world the virtual bible study take it away guys all
2: right so we're talking about church history on the program tonight and now we get uh into the 1700s late 1700s
0: yeah so again the reformation movement was was uh, and i think we we owe credit to, to some of those guys who who were courageous enough to say you know the catholic church is just out there and we gotta we gotta change things they didn't change enough they didn't come far enough back and actually, the fruit of their effort is is soiled by virtue of the fact that many religious denominations followed those men and even called themselves by the names of those men or by the things that they taught uh you know uh Lutherans after Martin Luther, uh, Wesleyan Methodist after uh, the Wesley brothers, uh, Knox John Knox. Sometimes you see n- n- uh, the Presbyterian churches where that name uh, Knox. Uh, they just uh, it, it, they didn't come far enough back, and they didn't get the people thinking. Let's go back to the Bible. Let's have Bible authority for everything we do.
2: Well, and you know the thing is, when in, unless you have that foundation. We see what's happened in these denominations. They've drifted farther they and farther more and more away. Liberal.
0: They keep getting more but and more liberal. But why
2: wouldn't they, unless they were absolutely 100% committed to the Bible and the Bible alone, then you're, you're apt to drift. You're going to drift over time yeah. because you're, you've submitted to the will of men. And what they decide, what the synods or the
0: councils or the conventions decide, that's where you're going to go. Exactly right. So... As time gets closer to our current time, in 1794, so a little over 200 years ago, uh, there were men who said, we haven't come far enough, and I I noted one, in in 1794, James O'Kelly in America left the Methodist to establish a Christian church declaring the Bible as their only creed. Oh, that sounds good. Sounds good. Sounds good. By 1804, Barton W. Stone in America and others rejected association with man-made organizations, famously dissolving the Springfield Presbytery, wishing to be called simply Christians. In 1807, Thomas Campbell migrated to America, followed by his son Alexander Campbell in 1809. By 1830, they had cut ties with uh, all associations and became known simply as disciples. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then... I got one more observation. Let's hang. Let's hold on to the last one. But the reason I noted James O'Kelly is because I wanted to point out, you know, a lot of times people credit Alexander Campbell with being the restorer, sort of like he was the one and only. Mm -hmm. Uh, Alexander Campbell was not the first one on the scene with this idea of restoring the New Testament church. There were plenty of people who went before him, and it was happening in America, but it was also happening in Europe. It was happening in England for sure remember we we interviewed that fellow who'd written a book about traces of the kingdom, and he could see in England as far back as history allowed you to go you could he could find traces of true Christians just trying to follow the New testament pattern uh and so uh so but there was a restoration movement in England and Europe that sort of paralleled what was going on in America. These people saying, we the Reformation hasn't gone far enough. We got to go. We just abandon all of this and just go all the way back to the New Testament. And just just be Christians, just like we read about in the pages of the New Testament. Just do what they did. Just teach what they taught. And and so. Their effort was not reformation, but restoration, restore the New Testament church according to the New Testament pattern. And again, I, I, I noted James O'Kelly in 1794 was when he left the Methodist and just said, we're just going to follow the Bible, just have it as our only creed. Well, that was, uh, you know almost 20 years before the campbells even came to the united states and so you know I, I just wanted to point out we're not following thomas or alexander campbell in this matter we're just following a concept that is biblical do bible things in bible ways speak where the bible speaks be silent where the bible is silent follow that pattern and and and, and there were a number of men barton w stone was a famous restorer and sometimes you hear this, this movement called the Stone Campbell movement because a lot of people equate Barton W. Stone right up there with Alexander Campbell. Well, he was, a, he was a significant leader in this movement and he had the right ideas. Uh, if you read his story, and I've just recently been doing some reading about some of these restorers, if you read his story, you, you see him taking steps heading back in the direction of, of, of abandoning everything and just going to the New Testament pattern. Uh, and it sort of famously Stone and some others had had identified with what was known as the Springfield Presbytery. But they, they weren't part of it for very long before they realized, no, there's there's no authority for this organization known as the Springfield Presbytery. And so they wrote what was called the last will and testament of the Springfield Presbytery. They abandoned it. They dissolved it. Um, but they were heading in the right direction. Get all the way back. To the New Testament. And they weren't added.
2: the only ones that were doing that. They just happened to be the more prominent ones. But that was a general thought process. Is, hey, listen, if we're going to do this the right way, let's not reform anything. Let's just go back to the standard. Yeah. Let's not look at what, well, we got this today and we don't like well, this. what we did Martin
0: like... Luther say about that? What did John Calvin say about that? What did John Knox say about that? They didn't, they didn't care. They said, what did the New Testament say about that? And, I don't know, you got any books written by the Campbells in your library? I've got some biographies, but
2: no books. Of, but where, they didn't
0: write creed books.
2: Yeah, right. So you want to know, what does the Bible say about God's design of marriage? You don't go back I and... I don't quote Alexander Campbell on that. You say, what did he say? Or you don't go back and say, well, what does this denomination say? Or what does this council that my church is under say? No, you go back to the
0: scriptures and say, what do the scriptures teach? That's all that matters. And I hope that we can convince people. We, we owe... No allegiance to Alexander Campbell. We don't give allegiance to Alexander Campbell. In regards to the things that he was right about, we we commend him. He wasn't actually right on everything. Uh, We don't follow Alexander Campbell. We're just trying to follow the the New Testament. All right.
2: Monty, your thoughts on that as we look at, uh, at where we are today?
3: Well, Paul told Timothy, and I forget where he says it right now, but to find faithful men that would teach what Paul had taught Timothy. So he preached a doctrine of duplication, so to speak, basically handing down the same teaching forever. And so he would have wanted that same thing, just go back to what the original teaching was. and Because if you do what they did, you'll be what they were. And if you're doing something different, then you're something else than what we read about in the Bible. And it's really just that simple. And that's
2: how we can can say, then, that we are not a denomination, that we're undenominational. Because... If you follow the Bible, you're a Christian, and that's all that we claim to be. And
0: that's what those restorers wanted. They wanted to be identified as Christians or or disciples of of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it really
2: was a unity movement, not a unity and diversity movement, but a unity based upon the the Scriptures. If we'll all play by the same rules, if we'll all agree to a common standard, not your creed or Monty's denomination's creed, but the Bible, if we'll all agree on that, we'll all be unified like God wants it like Jesus
0: so desperately wanted and prayed about it in John 17 Exactly right Let me read a quick uh, these quick notes from uh, Kent he said James O'Kelly was right in principle however he was inconsistent in not making a correct application to the practices of, of that he affirmed in principle he was heading in the right direction but uh, even these guys were still struggling to get all the way back Barton W Stone sincerely wanted to reject man-made organizations however he was wrong in viewing individuals that he had that had never obeyed the gospel as Christians. He affirmed false doctrine regarding the nature of Christ, espousing the false doctrine of Arianism. So, again, uh, Kent's pointing out, Martin W. Stone, great guy, did, did good work, but he wasn't all the way right. Thomas and Alexander Campbell accomplished much good in their search for truth, however, fell short of applying such truth correctly to some of their practices. We don't follow those men. We say they had the right idea to restore the simple New Testament church. And then we had we just all but out of time I had one last footnote in 1906 Churches of Christ withdrew from those known as disciples over issues that included instrumental music and missionary societies and by the way interestingly Alexander Campbell was wrong there Alexander specific Alexander was the first president of the American Christian Missionary Society he was wrong about the missionary society. We don't have time to, to actually go into what the, the whole notion of missionary society. But again, it's a, it's a man-made organization. Uh, and Campbell was wrong about that. And he actually became the president of that missionary society. And I only say that to emphasize we we see the failings of, of this, these men like Alexander Campbell. We don't follow them. We're just trying to follow the New Testament pattern. All right.
2: And and then the idea of instrumental music as well. We've talked about that numerous times on the program. But again, something we believe is an invention of men, not uh, authorized in the scriptures. And so if we're going to just do what the, the scriptures say, and we're going to be committed to that, then we have to firmly stand against anything that is not in the scriptures, anything that may seem good to us, seem like a good idea, seem like a good addition. No, once you start down that road... You see through history, if you understand church history now, once you go down that road of accepting an innovation or an addition to the scriptures, you begin that path of
0: departure that will lead in all types of various directions. Real quickly, let me read this note from Kent. We're just out of time, but he says, The New Testament of Christ does not authorize the use of mechanical instruments of music and worship unto God. Neither does the New Testament authorize the establishment of any human institutions to accomplish the work of local New Testament churches. The basic fallacy of human institutionalism is a misunderstanding of the church and its universal extension. The church and its universal extension is a saved relationship of individuals, not a collectivity of local churches. While I agree with some brethren in their opposition to the concept of the missionary society, That The case being that they understand such to be an unauthorized human institution, they do not correctly understand the limits that the New Testament has placed upon the local church, that such has no authorized work organization larger than the local function of a congregation under its own oversight. They fail to see that the centralization of various works of local churches under a single eldership violates the same principle as the missionary society, which leads to an attempt to activate the universal church into a collective functioning unit. Yeah, that's that kind of is involved, I, I agree with Kent totally. But here's my point, and I think Kent's heading is trying to, to describe this too. When churches now, even among churches of Christ, when they be, try to begin to organize and and put elders of one congregation overseeing the work of several congregations, you realize we're starting down that path of departure again that led to the Catholic Church. Yep. yep. And so well, that's why we're so insistent of just doing, just following the Bible pattern. And when we see the
2: history, we see the big picture of things, it makes those departures more apparent. And we see the danger in that because we see where it's led in the past. And yeah. so having this view of history is so important. Exactly. All right. Um, a good discussion tonight, and you know, an important discussion. Maybe not uh, as fiery as some of those current event type of discussions or those hardcore do- doctrinal discussions, uh, subjects, but
0: certainly an important subject. I th- I, and again, I think paying some attention to history, more so than I used to think, uh, it's, it's important. It's uh, History in general is important to learn from. Church history in particular has a value to know what's, what's happened and maybe not repeat some of the same mistakes. All right. My, you, know,
3: you know, there's a saying that those that don't know history and understand it are doomed to repeat it. Yeah. And so that's not only applicable to to world history or whatever countries, but it's especially important as far as history of the church. We need to know what mistakes was made in the future or in the past so that we don't repeat them in the future.
0: I think you're exactly right, money. Monty,
2: appreciate you being here uh for the program tonight, helping us get it out on the air. And uh, I'm not sure
3: how much help I was.
2: <laughs> well, you did. You got it done. And I got a comment here that you were getting fancy with the transitions even. So way to go. Appreciate you helping us out. And appreciate you joining us on the other end of the line tonight. Uh, hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. And hope that you'll make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it.